Welcome to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. This is your go-to podcast on optimizing your day. The Win the 16 podcast features discussions on leadership and coaching, personal and professional development, as well as discussions on the modern work culture and engaging employees in hybrid and remote work environments. Your hosts are Dave Pygon, president of Pygon One Consulting, and his brother, Dr. Bud Pygon, anesthesiologist at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Today on episode four, Dave and Bud will be discussing building trust, both as a leader and as an individual. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome everyone to Win the 16 podcast. Thank you for listening. Also, huge thank you to Carrie and the production team. Always a great job that they do, so thank you. Today's Win the 16 podcast is brought to you by Pygon One Consulting. We would like to have you all please rate, review, and follow us on Spotify, Apple, and now on Google as well. Lastly, please contact us with any questions and thoughts you might have on our podcast or about Pygon One Consulting. Bud, welcome. How you doing? Dave, I don't think I could be better. <laughs> I love that. Bud, it's our fourth episode today and staying in that growth mindset theme that we talked about last week, uh, I would definitely say our podcast development is progressing and we're learning. I look back and this uh, idea we had came up with, we finally put into action and processed it back in August and we're on our fourth episode. So it's pretty cool. It's amazing, Dave. So before we jump into the topic, we had a couple people who uh, asked some questions and made a comment. And by the way, today's topic, just a reminder, everybody is going to be on trust, which is a huge topic, I think, for all of us, whether you're a leader, business owner, or an individual or an employee out there. But uh, the two questions that we received this week, Bud, first one is, what is the best way to spend more time in the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset? And for those of you just listening this week, we're not on last week's podcast, but do you want to define growth and fixed mindset briefly for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. So as Dweck defines it, the growth mindset is believing that your abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work. This creates a love of learning, obviously we're big fans of that, and a resilience, grit, that is essential for great accomplishment. The, on the opposite end of that is the fixed mindset, that belief that our qualities and talents are fixed. They're static traits. They can't be changed. We were born with them. We are who we are. Thanks, bud. And I just want to say and this before I answer this question, we are all in both of these mindsets at times. We all at times are in a growth mindset and at times we are in a fixed mindset. I know myself, I'd like to spend more time in the growth mindset. Uh, that whole learning piece. And the question is, what's the best way to spend more time in the growth mindset? It would be, it's a choice. And if you're always thinking in its top of mind, a mindset of learning, you're going to find yourself more in the growth mindset. I would just recommend hang in there, keep thinking, wanting, desiring to progress and learn. And you'll be more often in that growth mindset. I think about if you're going into a meeting tomorrow, or you're talking to somebody and it's on a subject you fairly know really well, there is part of our brains that might be saying, I know this. Maybe just modify that thought process to something like this. Maybe I can learn something today. Maybe there's something that's being talked about 
I know, but I haven't thought about it in this perspective. That would be a growth mindset. Bud, before we move on, anything else on this one? Well, yeah, it's to that, I think one of the common threads in, in a lot of what we're talking about and certainly what we're going to get into today with trust, which is, is a really uh, difficult topic, I think. Um, and I admire your courage for diving in um, because I think, again, trust is a very challenging thing to, to talk about uh, and to really dig into. Um, but for the people we mentioned, like in the last one, trying to get into that growth mindset, what I find is helpful is knowing myself that self-awareness piece, that contemplative piece. And so if the more I know my triggers and the more I hear words coming out of my mouth that I am aware of, oh, this is more of a fixed mindset, it helps me sort of course correct and say, okay, I wanna stop. I've gotta move into that growth mindset. I wanna be a learner, not a learned. Mm, yes, I, I really enjoy that quote. So the next question, does mental toughness and discipline come natural to people? I can't miss a meal, let alone a 48-hour fast. So I made that last week. I had communicated to everyone. I did a 40-hour fast. So I think that's what this woman or man were referring to. So does mental toughness and discipline come natural to people? I'm sure there's a part, a component of that that's natural maybe to some more than others. I also believe it's experiences, how you were raised, how what experiences in your life, as well as it's a skill. So just a reminder to everybody, mental toughness and discipline is a skill. Both can be worked on and improved. Conscious efforts to develop those skills, and we can all get better at them with different activities. So that's how I would answer. But anything to add on that one? Yeah, I want to remind people too that, you know, when the 16 isn't about comparing yourself to others and and trying to figure out, well, I, you know, I'm not David Goggins. So it's really about figuring out where you're at today and taking those small little steps to be more of who you want to be. Um, so some mental toughness, let's say you think you're not very tough. What can you do today to become a little bit tougher? And let's say you are extremely tough. What can you do today to become a little bit tougher? Those will be totally different paths, different exercises, different challenges. Um, and so that's, I think, the real beauty of the win the 16 is it's really about you and where you're at in your sort of uh, uh, journey, your your growth curve. That's great. But I love that because by human nature, we all are, it's natural to compare, contrast just by human nature. So that's a great one. A comment that I thought was made um, that was made, excuse me, on email to us. And that was and I know this couple was my husband and I are learning a lot. We are now doing the win the 16. Thank you guys for all the ideas you've shared. One thing, we are not calling it win the 16. We are calling it win the 14 because we need a little more sleep. Hope that's okay. I thought that was funny and I thought that was cute that I had to share that to everybody. So you absolutely can call it win the 14. If you're getting more sleep, good for you. I'm jealous and I think that's wonderful. So today's topic, bud, is building trust as a leader coach or as an individual we all have in our lives not only do we act upon it and deal with people where trust is of importance it's imperative and critical and but you said earlier already on this podcast that jumping into this topic why we chose and uh, i guess uh, to lean on me i thought it was time we jump into this i believe it's such a big topic and it is a tough topic I just believe it's not talked about enough. And to me, 
trust is one of my top five core values. Uh, I know at Pagan One, one of the first things I do with my individual clients is I ask them to go take your time, dig deep and have a deep thought. Think about what your core values are because ultimately when you're making tough decisions or in tough situations, or maybe not even tough, just normal situations, you're probably leaning on those core values. You don't even realize that. So trust today, we're going to try to share tips to help us all potentially increase our trust with certain people, as well as we're gonna talk about some things that cause mistrust that we might be doing, we don't even realize it. So we're gonna share some things that maybe hit that part of our brains for us to think about, oh, do I do that? But before we jump into it, do you wanna define trust? You are our definition guy. I am the definition guy, sure. So for trust, it's the assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. In the workplace, it's a culture of honesty, psychological safety, and mutual respect. Wow. Seems so simple, but it is amazing about how one act, and sometimes it could be just even body language, can throw off a trust completely with the person you're across from. Well, so I, I know, I don't want to step on, I know we're going to get into re, uh, a little bit of vulnerability at the end, um, but that reliance on others is, is much easier said than done true reliance, not that oh, I need you to do my work or what have you, but where you're really relying on someone, um, that's, that's a hard thing to let go of sometimes for people. Uh, incredibly hard. And we are going to get into vulnerability, but vulnerability, by showing vulnerability to people and others, that is going to be, and we're going to talk about it, uh, is a step into building trust with people, admitting your mistakes. Yeah. I'll even go a step further. It's very attractive to me when somebody can say, I made a mistake. And I always think in the back of my mind, I, it's not that I'm encouraging people to make mistakes, but I love when people say that because that gives me a sign that they're comfortable with me and communicating with me. And I don't, I, per, I don't think for my direct reports out there who are listening, I don't think I've ever held that against people because I live a life of, I make mistakes, bud. We all do. So if someone can admit their mistake, I make them. I think it's great. Yeah, that I think is the reality of life. Um, and for people who can't admit that, I struggle with as well because I have this sense always in the back of my mind that they're, they don't quite see things the way they really are. Um, and that leads me to a little bit of uncertainty and distrust of them. Yes, right. Then it's that whole, it starts flipping the coin on you. General comment, the world is, trust is probably dec decreasing, not increasing, generally speaking. I would say that's probably a fair comment, whether it's people to people, people to their companies, companies and organizations to their employees, that trust is probably not at its all-time high. So why don't we back that up with some data about it? So let me share some numbers for you. 1972. 45% 45, 45 of Americans believed most people could be trusted. 2018, the number falls to 30% of Americans believe most people can be, can be trusted. This is according to the Harvard Business Review. 2022, the annual Edelman Trust Barometer 
nearly 60% of people across 27 countries default is to distrust others. Let me say that again. 60 nearly 60% of people across 27 countries their default is to distrust others. But wow. I, I mean you want to talk about for all of us that are business owners, leaders, uh, parents, individuals, basically everybody, what a challenge that is. Think the with trust being not there in, for so many of us now in so many different ways, that to me was why I wanted us to really hone in and talk about trust today. Because whether we want to admit it or not, there is an opportunity probably for all of us to increase our trust whether it's as an organization or individual with certain people. Anything you want to add on to that, bud? Well, you know, a lot actually. Burnout and well-being are very hot topics, especially in medicine. Um, it, it, we've kind of been a little late to the party, but now it's a hot topic about the huge burnout rates and, and wellness in medicine. And a lot of that, um, when you hear those kinds of numbers of how distrusting people are, um, contribute to that. And it's not that just the number of patients who distrust physicians now is significant. And I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I know they're similar in how they've grown over the last handful of years. Um, but even physicians themselves who are distrustful of others and that, and how unhealthy that is um, for people to live like that. Mm -hmm. um, numbers on institutional distrust too are off the charts. When you look at numbers in the 50s about people who trusted the government versus numbers today, the numbers were like 70 some percent. Now it's like 20%. Uh, and it's the same thing too, when you look at these approval ratings of politicians, a lot of the disapproval is less even by the actions, but it's a, a reflection of their distrust in them. Uh, the church, uh, the same thing, the number of people who were trustful and now distrust the church. Um, and again, obviously there are legitimate reasons for that. The news media, um, uh, how, you know, Walter Cronkite would come on the news and that's the way it is. And America believed him in the 1960s. Uh, I don't think that's true anymore, mm. that people believe what they hear on the news media. Uh, and I'm not being critical of that. I, I, the media is a culprit in that. Uh, but we're talking more about the environment of trust and how, how harmful that is for people's well-being. So the point, and thanks for sharing that, bud. The point of us having a discussion today for everybody on trust is this. Whatever numbers you believe that we just shared and whatever your situation is within trust, we want everyone to realize there's potential opportunities for all of us to grow trust with others, our organizations, our employees, because look what we're facing. That's whether it's on us or not, there is a lot of distrust out there and we might have some work. And I just read Stephen Covey's new book, Trust and Inspire, which if you're looking for a leadership book, it's a great one. I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, he published it April of 2022 this year. Millennials are 22 times more likely to stay in a high trust culture, culture environment. Let me say that again. Millennials are 22 times more likely to stay in a high trust culture environment. I, I wanna point this out. One of the things over my years consulting and talking to people is at times I've heard where people have said, 
is sometimes people aren't as loyal now. Some of the people, younger generations coming up might not be as loyal as some of the older generations. Okay, that's opinions and people can decide however they want it. I just wanted to share, if you want to keep people around, this data supports they're more likely to stay if it's a high trust organization. Generation Xers, which is the group I'm in, we are six times more likely to stick around with our organization if it is a high trust culture environment. So again, trust can help us keep employees. So that was the that's the whole take for the business owners out there, executives out there. If you put time into trust and have a culture, the more trust you give, the better chance you have to keep people around. That is the only point that I'm trying to articulate with that. So trust is important. But you know what I was just thinking? I better explain the age generations for people just to give you an idea of when people are born. Some, some people out there might not exactly know which generation is which. So let's start with the greatest and silence generation. Those were the people born before 1946. They would be the greatest and silent generation. The people born between 1947 and 1964, those would be the baby boomers. The people born between 1965 and 1976, those would be the generation Xers, which is me. Those born between 1977 and 1995, they are referred to either millennials or generation Y. And then the last group, which are my kids, the ones born in 1996 to 2010, those would be the generation Zs. Now, if you Google this, you could find some charts and dates off by a year or two up or down, but that should give everyone a general idea of what the generations are. But before we jump on to sharing some ideas that might help with trust, we're gonna dive into some things that really drive trust down. Anything else you wanna comment on? Well, trust is difficult, um, but I think that it's never been more important because it's become such a differentiator for successful companies, for retention. Everybody's going through the same work crunch post-pandemic. Um, there aren't enough people to do the work. And if you get high quality people, how do you keep them? How do you keep them motivated? Um, we are in a much more distrustful uh, environment and society. Um, so again, this can give a leader, a worker, a culture, a corporation, a real leg up if they can invest in trust and differentiate themselves from other leaders, corporations, cultures uh, on the trust factor. And, but we always talk about when the 16, not only is it not easy, it takes contemplative, real deep thought. So as a business owner, as well as executives out there listening to this, uh, administrators, people and their uh, parents, which you know, but you and I are parents, this is something that really takes a lot of thought of where do we have trust and where do we, where might we be missing trust potentially? So this is not an easy one. So, but why don't we take a real quick break and we're going to jump right into what drives mistrust. If you're an individual or an organization contemplating personal and professional development, Reach out to Pygon One Consulting to have a discovery conversation regarding how we can help you and your business. Please visit our website at pygonone.com to start your journey. Bud, we're back. 
So, Bud, why don't we discuss things that drive mistrust? So let's just start rattling off some things so people can hear of some potential watchouts that could mistrust, that could cause mistrust in an organization or individually one-on-one -on -one working with different people. One, news, social media, and politics. Again, that one to me, bud, that's just a watch out for all of us that the world is not helping us in terms of trust. And the data we shared earlier on in the podcast shared the numbers that trust is not on its way up, it's on its way down. The next one, lacking transparency. And let me say that again, lacking transparency. I have an example for that one, bud. Can I share that one? I was part of three downsizings over my career in the corporate world. And I, I got some just great advice from my boss during one of them. And as you could imagine, bud, there's a sense that there's things going on when this comes up, but it, tension in the air, people have a feeling something's going on and they just want information, which is totally fair. And I remember my boss saying, Dave, the best advice I can give you is just make sure you be honest with these people and let them know, I appreciate the questions. Those are totally fair. I understand why you're asking, but at this time, I just don't have anything to share. And hopefully you can respect our relationship as well as respect my position at this point. As soon as we have information that we can articulate out, we 100% will. But I so, so appreciate you asking. I thought it was just a great example of a situation where you couldn't necessarily share anything at that point, but you were being as transparent as you could and you were being open and honest and you were acknowledging it. So I thought that was an interesting one. Another one, me first attitude where you completely come across that other person, you are basically only in your world. And I think, bud, where that one pops up is when we're in a hurry or when we just have a lot in our, on our plate and somebody wants to have a conversation with, with us, maybe it's virtual or in person about whatever, their business, maybe it's about their development, their career, and we're just not in the position to give them that time and we're more aligned with what our priorities are at that moment. And I gotta tell you, I think that's a time where we probably should call time out and address that other person and just let them know, totally understand. But at right now, I don't have the appropriate time to give you because I would love to have this conversation. Can we reschedule it? I think that's one of the common times when this me first attitude comes up. Any thoughts? So far, Bud, on any of the ones that we just brought up, lacking transparency, me first attitude from your perspective? You know, I, I want to comment a little on the first one because I think it sets oh, up sure. the whole thing that we're talking about is we've spent more time talking about this and I've spent more time thinking about it. Um, I believe that the decreasing trust in our society and culture is a tremendous opportunity for organizations. And as I've been thinking about it, I'm not sure there's a greater opportunity uh, in organizations or for leaders to differentiate themselves from others and put themselves ahead of the market um, by creating trust and building trust. 
that dealt on the sort of lacking of trust that's continuing and creating a trustful environment, a high trust organization, I think is tremendous and why it's this tough topic is worth spending time on. Yeah, I, there's no easy, there's no easy answer on this one, but uh, thanks for sharing that, bud. Another one, inconsistent behavior. This one is if we just sh consistently show up differently and our actions are just different. People want consistency and by being inconsistent all the time, that does potentially harm the opportunity to be trustworthy and it should potentially could give some red flags to people. So I, I, I really like that one to think about. Here's a big one for me, questionable integrity. I'll say that again, questionable integrity. That is also one of my core values with trust is integrity. Oh boy, but if, if this one starts to get broached with me, it's tough for me to have that trust and that respect and open relationship if integrity is broached. And I think most people would probably feel that way. Only available when it's good for me. That's another killer for trust. Here's one I think happens commonly. I don't know, but if you hear this at the hospital or in some of your meetings, whether it's live or in Zoom, where the leader of the call, the manager, whoever it might be, business owner, who are continuously late for meetings in person or on Zoom, and they always are gracious, oh, I'm so sorry, sorry, that meeting, I was just running from a meeting, and they tend to share how busy they are, but they consistently never change. That, is a, that potentially is a watch out for trust. If you're always late for things, for the people that are there on time, that's not only a respect issue, they could start to lose a little bit of trust for you. So I thought that was another one that you and I talked about we should articulate out to the group today listening. Company policy and practices that hinder trust. Let me say that again. Companies, policies, and practices that hinder trust. Now, for everyone listening out there, you might say, well, wait a minute, Dave, but I, I can't control that. I can't affect that. That's the organization, whether it's a small organization or a large organization, that's above my pay grade. All we're communicating today is it's a watch out. And if there's some policies within the organization, you are the organization. So it's an opportunity to share intent on why the policy is there potentially, as well as just acknowledge it and try to support in the best way you can. One of the things that I read about was the, at the end of Steve Ballmer's term at Microsoft as the CEO, or I think it was around 2013 area, 2014, yeah, he got hit a little bit for over managing as well as they hit him up on stack rankings. And let me explain to people what stack rankings. I, I've grown up in that environment. Stack rankings is where you're listing down your top salesman, number one for that quarter, month, year, all the way to, let's say there's 72 of them to 72. The watch out there is just to be careful. The article talked about is if you do, our, if you do a stack ranking, it does send a message of a competition. It could affect collaboration within your organization and it could affect that trust because inevitably the people at the top tend to get more recognition because they're higher performers, et cetera. So I am not saying stack rankings are good. I'm not saying they're bad. All we're saying is it is a watch out 
as we focus on trust and culture, that is something we need to think about. So, but before we move on, anything on this mistrust opportunities that occur for people that maybe we need to just be aware of from your perspective? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think, you know, we want to focus on things to do, and these are things not to do, but you can certainly spin it the other way as there are actions you can take to avoid these type of things, right? You know, be transparent, be consistent, um, be aware of the lack of trust that sort of exists out there um, and really focus on some of the things you control. It gets back to our talk about agency and how important that is. Um, you can't control company policies. Yeah, but you control your behavior and how you integrate those policies and work with your people to do it. Yes. So let's move on to how to build trust. I'm going to share three core principles to build trust from our friends at the Harvard Business Review. Uh, this was uh, published in 2020. So the three core principles to build trust that they communicated in this article was, one is empathy. Do you care? And what they communicate in the article is cognitive, emotional, and compassion. Those were the three things that they listed about demonstrating your ability to be empathetic to the people you're working with. When I think of one leader, Bud, when we started talking about this conversation, who demonstrates this based on the readings that I've done on him, and that is Satya Nadala, the CEO at Microsoft. When he first came in in 2014, his focus right off the bat was trust people and culture. So this was a big one for him. The next core principle the Harvard Business Review discusses is logic. This would be competency, knowledge, and judgment. And a couple of examples that you and I came up with who demonstrated, demonstrated this, Albert Einstein and Bill Gates, that I think we'd all agree highly knowledgeable people to say the least. And then the third one for core principles from the Harvard Business Review was authenticity, being the real you, showing up day in and out, day in and day out, genuine, no phoniness, and just being who you are. A couple of examples, Martin Luther King and Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs is an interesting one because Steve Jobs was tough on himself, but he was also tough on others. Uh, and I would say he was genuine. Any comments, bud? Well, I think the choices of the authentic people that you put are perfect um, because could two people be more different <laughs> in how they live their lives and their missions and their goals uh, than Martin Luther King and Steve Jobs, um, but yet both true to themselves and truly authentic. So it really gives a great example of you don't have to be X or Y to be authentic. You just have to be yourself. Yes, yes, yes. Great point, bud. So you and I came up with some more tips that we'd like to share on how to build trust. So the first one, earn it, earn it. You go first and people will reciprocate. And I know someone we've been reading about a lot lately, you and I, that you're going to discuss now is uh, Dr. Paul Zak, a neuroeconomist on how to earn trust and then people will reciprocate it. So do you want to Touch on Dr. Paul Zakbun sure. and his data. You know, I love these kinds of things because it's real science 
um, behind some of these things that like, you know, we sort of disparagingly called soft sciences last time because we don't believe there's anything soft about these things. Uh, he's a neuroeconomist at uh, Claremont uh, University uh, and has actually done studies where he looks at oxytocin, uh, a neurotransmitter that um, uh, is physiologic. And he's done studies where he's drawn blood samples to test levels and people that are put in trustworthy environments or put in trusting environments and are trustworthy have elevated levels of oxytocin, which has the benefits of making people feel wet better. They increase their empathy. They increase their trust. Uh, and uh, they also increase their trustworthiness, which mm. means they act in a way that makes them more trusting. And by doing that, people trust them more. So it creates this virtuous cycle. Um, and it's all um, demonstrable by these oxytocin levels so that it's a real thing that's happening. It's not just something subjective that's going on. Uh, and it's demonstrable or demonstrable uh, for uh, these people. And so if you can build that kind of environment where you're giving people trust, they feel that trust, they reciprocate by being trustworthy, um, you create, an, again, that sort of virtuous cycle where more and more of it happens. It's amazing. So I read that data, that neuroscience article on that, and it's amazing, the information. So thanks for sharing that, bud. You give trust, you got a better chance that it's going to come back your way. This one's easy. Don't micromanage. So I think the easiest way to lose trust is micromanage. The only watch out there I will mention is I think a lot of us leaders out there believe we don't manage and we don't. I think when it comes in, bud, is when results start to go a little bit south. Performance isn't where we want. Instead of maybe potentially uncovering and supporting and helping and finding solutions, at times, I think that's when sometimes leaders can jump in and start to take over and micromanage. Share the intent. Again, share in the intent. If we tell people the what, the why we're doing this, it could potentially increase our trust, not only on the concept or the objective or the goal, it could trust that we're explaining to them why we're going down this path. Another one, this came from the Gallup study and build trust by focusing and developing on people's strengths. Let me say that again. The Gallup study said a way to build trust with people is by focusing on their strengths and developing people's strengths. But I love this one. I know recently you and I both have just we just took a strength assessment. I mean, I do it at Pygon One for clients, but we did our own. And I just believe you wanna build trust with somebody, spend time on talking about what they're really good at. They probably will talk your ear off and they probably will have a sense of enjoyment and passion behind it. So the assessments are so critical because it gives people the opportunity to see in black and white what they're really good at. Shockingly, bud, when I did mine, I ran first to what? The top five items that are, that are my strengths, but also on the back end, what it gives people the opportunity when you do a strength assessment, it gives us the opportunity to, not only to have something to potentially work on, but I think even more importantly, it shows us what our blind spots are, bud. It gives us the opportunity to say, 
and for all the leaders out there, and business owners and managers, directors, doctors, working with your staff, it gives everyone an opportunity to say, okay, these things you're great at, how do we get you to spend more time on that? How do we spend more time on it? If you're really good at it, maybe have you become great. I know you mentioned an earlier podcast, and if you're already great at it, how do we get you to be out of this world? As well as these blind spots or areas where you're not so good at, you know who might be good at it? Jim on the team, Robin on the team. They're wonderful at those, those areas you're not. So let's reach out to them. Let's get them involved in those things and they can help on it. But what is your two cents on that? So there's a lot there. Uh, I'm guilty of this, the golden rule. I've sort of lived my life the way I treat others as I want to be treated. Uh, and it sets real limits. Um, and I do believe the platinum rule is better is treat people how they want to be treated. How can, and as a leader, I do feel we have an obligation to do that um, because it helps us build people up instead of this is how I want to be treated and I'm going to treat you that way. How do you want to be treated? What is best for you to help support you, develop you, help you reach your potential? Uh, and I think the strength assessment tools are wonderful for doing that. Uh, they lay out for you strengths, weaknesses, but in a lot of the tools, I know the one that you use too, it tells you, hey, these are areas in, that you excel in, and these are the kind of people that you excel working with, and these are the types of things that you like to do. These are some of your weaknesses. Here's maybe a better partner for you to help offset your weaknesses and or to accentuate your strengths. They can be wonderful tools for a leader to know that about their people when they work with them. We have a saying in medicine that, you know, your eyes will never see what your mind doesn't know. Uh, and I think being self-aware uh, and being more aware of who your people are and how they best function will aid you as a leader in uh, addressing them in a way that's most successful, most supportive, and is most likely to help them reach their potential. And I know we talked about before, you know, life isn't linear and in companies, um, there's probably more money to be made and there's probably more productivity to be made playing at the top of someone's excellence scale, meaning moving, taking the effort, like with the flywheel analogy, they're already A minus. So their flywheel is already moving. And maybe that effort you put in because of the momentum you've built moves them from an A minus to an A plus which is such a significant movement for you and the company, as opposed to the effort you might have to put then if they're on a weakness where there may be a C plus to move them to a B minus. And the return on that effort may not be what your company needs, especially if maybe someone in those same areas is already an A minus and the effort you would put on the C plus person to move them to a B minus could be applied to the A minus person and move them to an A plus. I think that's the goal. Well said, bud. I think that's great. And what we're saying is if you've got somebody that is below par in an area and it's unacceptable, unequivocally develop them, spend the time with them. They need to move that, for lack of a better word, opportunity, weakness, whatever word you want to use, up to acceptability. We're just saying is there does, there does come the point where how much time What's going to give us the best bang for our buck? So I think it's a great, great point that you brought, bud. Dave, that reminds me too, when you mentioned it that way, is when 
the comment about don't micromanage, it doesn't mean don't, it doesn't mean ignore. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. <laughs> don't micromanage them doesn't mean say, hey, here's your tasks and then come back to me when you succeed or fail. Um, the ability to not micromanage your people is almost directly related to how clearly you articulate the goals, how well you help map out potential processes, and then how well you hold them accountable for meeting those goals. Uh, it isn't, hey, here's the job and ignore and come back to me when you succeed or fail. I wanna, so again, not micromanaging doesn't mean not ignoring and it doesn't mean not leading. But that flows into the next point, which you already brought up. And I just want to define it for everybody. You mentioned earlier golden rule. The golden rule is how most of us were brought up. And the golden rule is that is treat people how you want to be treated. And I would say most of us probably grew up under that. I think mom raised us that way, bud. The reality is we live in a world today, the golden rule might be nice, but that's not how most people want to be treated nowadays. People want to be treated what they call the platinum rule. And that is people want to be treated the way they want to be treated. So I, when I think about, you mentioned about, let's not confuse micromanaging with ignoring. I read an article recently about absentee leadership versus micromanaging leadership. And where I believe that ties into the platinum rule, if you have, if, whether it's a remote hybrid employee or an in-office employee, you might have a representative, an employee who you work with, where they wanna be contacted. They wanna communicate. They wanna share their day with you. They might wanna share what happened and they want that contact. If you don't communicate with them every couple of days, they potentially could view you as an absentee leader. Conversely, and I can think of one person I was leading a couple of years ago. This gentleman did a great job, organized, buttoned up. And he's the kind of person, if you communicated with him or tried to all the time, that's not how he wanted to be treated. He would have viewed that as over managing him, micromanaging him. So the point I'm wanting to make there is platinum, the platinum rule really ties into how we communicate with people. If we are just standardly every two days, I make the call to so-and-so, some people could view that as under communication. Some could view that as over communication and micromanaging. So I thought that was just a good example, bud, on where the platinum rule could really play a role for leaders who are out there. I would even say in people's houses, we probably all have kids where one sits at the dinner table and shares everything. And then the other one, it's pulling teeth. Uh, that's just not how the way they roll. So, yeah, I, I agree, Dave. And too, you know, I try to get away from um, judgment, like golden rule. The golden rule is a great way to live, right? It's very successful. What we're talking about is getting an edge and treating everybody by the golden rule is fine. But I think you're going to get further if you treat people by the platinum rule. And because you're helping people treating them in a way that best helps them meet their needs and be supportive is actually a good thing and not a negative thing. It doesn't make them selfish, right? Mm. It's good for you to do that too, because you're going to help lift them up more faster. Yes. Yes. So we have a few more delegate when you can again, delegate when it's reasonable, responsible, people will be empowered and they will feel the trust that you're giving them. 
I, this one's, I love this one. Uh, in fact, one of my programs spends half the time on this at Pygon One Consulting, but, and that is share your story and share your experiences to others. And when you do that, that is showing some trust because you are going and sharing your past. And when I say experiences, those are the wonderful experiences you had, as well as things that weren't as wonderful. And I love what Sandra Miller said in her book, the best way to get to know someone is have them tell their story. And Bud, it's so powerful. If you can tell a direct report, a peer, a colleague, somebody that trust is really important with, to have that relationship with, if you can lead by giving a story and your experiences to them, and then ask them to reciprocate, usually they'll be more than happy to. That's just a path and a nice walkway to building trust. So that, I, I, really, I really love that one. So, Bud, another one to build trust is to be vulnerable. And for some of us, that might be hard. I personally love when people admit their mistakes. I know some people view that as vulnerability. I love that because it's honest and we all make them. I know this is a big one for you. We've talked of this one about being vulnerable, but do you want to comment on this one? Yeah, this is also something fairly new to me that I've come to uh, just recently, the whole concept of vulnerability. And it's not a weakness and, and it's an odd thing in the sense that I think it's important to define it. So Brene Brown is an endowed chair social worker at the University of uh, Houston very hot right now, been, you know, published a handful of books in the pop psychology world on this. Uh, she really defines it as vulnerability is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So mm. it's really putting yourself out there. So when you think of it that way, it's not a term to be, you know, you're, oh, I'm vulnerable. Whoa, I'm not, you know, I want to do that. But really, how can we ever move forward without taking on some risk, some uncertainty, and without putting ourselves out there? It's really tied closely to another thing that I'm really very interested in is uh, courage. You really can't have courage without vulnerability because you can't be courageous if you don't take some risk, if you don't venture into the uncertain. It doesn't take any courage to go somewhere where you are certain, right? So they're so closely uh, intertwined. And we do think of you know these people that are courageous, it's a a powerful trait, right? Oh, we want to be courageous, but we don't want to be vulnerable. But I don't believe you can be one without the other now. Uh, and I do think courage is one of the, my four C's of leadership. We've already touched on one with empathy, you know, obviously compassion, caring, communication, we've talked a little bit about, but courage is the other. Um, and I think vulnerability, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, when we tie it with our podcast on courage that'll be coming up shortly too, because there's so much to talk about that two concepts uh, in leadership. But in, I, when I think of people not being vulnerable, I almost think as if they're, they have a, they're wearing an armored vest as a leader. They don't want to admit they made a mistake because that's sending a message that mistakes are okay or whatever have you. And I, I completely disagree with that. I think that's human. I think that's authenticity. I think that's genuine. And I think it's a path to build trust when somebody can admit 
their mistakes and be vulnerable from across. I find it very attractive personally and professionally. You know, Brene Brown talks about that too. She's got a big thing about this armoring up um, and we all do it to protect ourselves. Sure. Um, and we, as to be the best leaders, to tap into our potential as leaders and therefore to help tap into other people's potential, uh, you have to work with removing those armor, that armor, because it, it may make you feel safe and certain, but it holds you back and it limits you. Absolutely. So last one, bud, and, and um, we can finish up today. Develop an environment. So if you're leading people and you have an environment where you lead by growth mindset, where you're learning, always trying to get better. Dr. Dweck from Stanford, we talked a lot last week. In her book, Mindset, she says, employees who work in a growth mindset organization have more trust in it. So again, I don't know if the business owners, leaders can affect an organization from top down tomorrow, but what we all sure can affect is our own world. And if we demonstrate growth mindset consistently, Dr. Dweck from Stanford says it in black and white, you are gonna increase with the people that you are leading. So I just wanted to finish with that, with building trust, because I think that's a great one is we can lead by example with growth mindset and it unequivocally will build trust with the people that are directly reporting to us or as well as um, just our peers and colleagues. So, bud, today's podcast went fast as always. Uh, why don't we recap and uh, share what our next episode and move forward. So anything before we jump into that, bud, that you wanna share before we, into the recap for today? Sure. I just want to close with this. You know, obviously we've spent some time thinking and talking about this and, and preparing. And the more I think about trust, a topic that I, um, it's not my strongest suit because I, I'm not the most trusting and it's something I've had to really work on. But I think it may be the most important thing we can do right now, especially in this environment, to differentiate ourselves from others mm -hmm. and for as a leader to help our people move forward and as for a company and a business, because the evidence is clear, high trust environments are more productive, they're better at retaining workers. Has that ever been more important, being able to retain your top quality um, than it is in today's work environment? Um, and it can get you maybe the biggest bang for your buck. Takes a lot of effort, a lot of work to develop it, but boy, I'm not sure there's anything else you can do that would move your marker further and farther and faster. Move your flywheel further and farther and faster. Well said, well said, bud. So to recap today, we discussed how trust is just decreasing around us. We need to spend time and thought on trust, not only just as organizations and business owners and in our houses, uh, but individually when we're working with people, it's an opportunity. We discussed what drives mistrust. We sh and lastly, we shared some ideas on how we could increase trust. So a couple last things. Win the 16 Challenge, bud, believe it or not, ends tomorrow. So those of you who took part in the Win the 16 Challenge, first of all, great job. Proud of you. Way to consistently follow your plan, your habit, and be disciplined to do contemplative and deep thought for 31 straight days on a walk for 10 to 30 minutes. So. Uh, great job. Proud of you. Our next episode will be December 21st. So we're going to do another one next week. It's going to be a holiday special podcast discussing healthy lifestyle 
which is one of the principles of Win the 16. And we're going to discuss what are some things we can do to have a healthy lifestyle during the holidays, which is an amazing time of the year that all of us could potentially enact and do. Lastly, please contact us at pygon1.com with any questions or thoughts on the podcast, or if you have any uh, desire to communicate with Pygon One Consulting, you can contact us at pygon1.com. As always, we thank you greatly for listening and win the 16. Thank you for listening to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One. Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Episodes will be released every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. Central Time. Thank you and go win the 16.